Good morning. Would you um, follow me and as we all pray for guidance? Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with glad hearts what you say to us today. Amen. I'll be reading today um, from Ephesians. This is where um, Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesians. And I'll be reading Ephesians 4, 17 through uh, chapter 5, verse 2. And you can follow along as you can see in the New Testament reading in your pew. Um, I will say that I'm reading from the message, which is the Bible in contemporary language. So uh, it's basically language as you and I speak today. And so I insist, and God backs me up on this, that there be no going along with the crowd, the empty-headed, mindless crowd. They've refused for so long to deal with God that they've lost touch not only with God, but with reality itself. They can't think straight anymore. Feeling no pain, they let themselves go in sexual obsession, addicted to every sort of perversion. But that's not life for you. You learn Christ. My assumption is that you have paid careful attention to him, been well instructed in the truth precisely as we have it in Jesus. Since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance. Everything, and I do mean everything, Connect it with that old way of life has to go. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it. And then take on an entirely new life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. What this adds up to, then, is this. No more lies. No more pretense. Tell your neighbor the truth. In Christ's body, we're all connected to each other after all. When you lie to others, you end up lying to yourself. Go ahead and be angry. You do well to be angry, but don't use your anger as fuel for revenge. And don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. And don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. Did you use to make ends meet by stealing? Well, no more. Get an honest job so that you can help others who can't work. Watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. Say only what helps, each word a gift. Don't grieve God. Don't break his heart. His Holy Spirit, moving and breathing in you, is the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for himself. Don't take such a gift for granted. Make a clean break with all cutting, backbiting, profane talk. Be gentle with one another, sensitive. Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. Watch what God does, and then you do it, like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. 
Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Carol. Uh, One of the uh, fascinating things I think about reading Scripture and reading these uh, letters, uh, epistles from Paul, like Ephesians, is to try to get into the heart and mind of Paul himself as he writes. And you you may have noted uh, Ephesians 4. uh, We have to go through these Scriptures pretty quickly in the sermon. I can't cover everything. But one of the things that I thought I would bring out is that Paul refers to himself at the beginning of this chapter that Carol just read as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He also refers to himself in that way in the first verses of chapter 3 of Ephesians. Also, when he writes uh, the epistle uh, Philemon, right at the beginning, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1, 1, Paul, a prisoner for Jesus Christ. So you'll see this all through Paul's writings, and one of the things I was thinking about this week is how often we as Christians, despite our faith or our faith that we claim to have, uh, how like much of the world we can get discouraged and we are disappointed with God. Uh, Philip Yancey wrote a book called Disappointed with God, dealing with that very thing. Why did God, God not provide me with all the blessings that he promises? I thought it was all going to be riches and and, uh, answered prayers, my way. And there are churches out there that preach a gospel of prosperity and that if you're not prosperous, there's something wrong going on in your life. The fact of the matter is Paul is glorying in the fact that he is a prisoner. He's not ashamed to be a prisoner. He's in a dungeon. He's in a dark dungeon in, in Rome, and he is exalting in the fact that God has chosen him, chosen him, and honored him by allowing him to suffer for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's quite, quite an attitude, isn't it? And I think it's the attitude that Paul wants us so desperately to adopt into our own lives, that we can look at everything that happens in our lives, whether we consider it or the world consider it, considers it good or bad, but we can take all things and look at it and see God at work. And he knew that God would use his imprisonment for the sake of the gospel. And so rather than seeing it as something to suffer through, he saw it as something to glory in. So I wanted to, to just to bring that out to you for a minute that uh, sometimes we complain about, about the, the, just the, the most minor of things. Uh, I was with someone yesterday and we were talking and, you know, they have a, a very serious prognosis and, uh, uh, you know, obviously there is anxiety and fears associated with that. But we were talking about the fact that they lived in a nation that has the medical care, the ability to diagnose this well ahead and to have treatments for it, something that the majority of the world does not have, and how we should give, give thanks to God for the things that we do have rather than always looking at our life in a very narrow uh, framework and saying, uh, why is this happening to me, and not seeing just how really blessed we are to be in this place, in this world at this time. 
So I uh, wanted to, to bring that out for a moment. Uh, you may notice up there, I, change, I, I do have the, uh, the right to change the title <laughs> of the sermon. <laughs> and uh, so uh, if you look in your bulletins, it's a different title from what I've got. I changed it to Where's the Beef? I just blacked that over this morning, put Where's the Beef? And I wanted to uh, share with you, it's just a 10-second or so uh, little snippet of a, of a commercial. Make sure that the, uh, that the PC is not muted there, Larry, that, it's, that the sound is up and all too. And uh, I don't care if it's up pretty loud because you need to hear this little, uh, this little lady as she, as she speaks uh, and, uh, and gives a piece of her mind. So let's go ahead Go ahead with that. It certainly is a big bun. It's a very big bun. Big fluffy bun. It's a very big fluffy bun. Where's the beef? Some hamburger places give you a lot less beef on a lot of bun. Where's the beef? Where's the beef? How many of y'all remember that? commercial yeah because that actually today uh, they didn't use this term back then but that went viral okay of course you couldn't put it on the internet because we didn't have access to that but uh, uh, it became the commercial of 1984 the spring of 1984 anybody remember how it came into play in our national politics there was a debate you'll you'll remember a debate between Walter Mondale and Gary Hart they were the two top contenders for the uh, Democratic nomination for president. Of course, neither one of them won. But, uh, but in a debate, Walter Mondale uh, looked at Gary Hart, who was, uh, many people said, well, he's popular because he sort of looks like John Kennedy. He has a Kennedy, he looks like a president should look. And, of course, later on he got in a little bit of monkey business on, you know, name of a boat he was on and did something he shouldn't have done. Um, which ended his candidacy. But his candidacy, candidacy really took a blow when Walter Mondale looked at him and said, you remind me of that TV commercial. Where's the beef? And it threw Gary Hart for a loop for, because he, he really uh, was making a lot of promises and his theme was, his slogan was, new ideas. But what Walter Mondale wanted to know is, what are those ideas? I mean, you can't claim to have something unless you can produce the beef, unless you can actually show us that there is some meat in those ideas. So uh, as I was uh, going through this, I, I don't know why that commercial occurred to me, but I thought that really what the passage we're looking at today is about is where is the beef of the Christian life? I think a lot of people visit churches, and when they leave, somewhere in their mind, maybe not in those exact words, they're asking, where's the beef? Okay, I saw some ketchup and some garnishments. I, I, you know, there was a little mustard here and there. There was an onion, you know. There was a big fluffy bun. But what was this really about? What was the core of what I experienced today? And so as we go through here, I, 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 we're going to discover the beef at one point. I'm going to point that out to you in case you miss it. But what is the beef of our faith? What is, what is that thing that, that is at the core and the heart and without which... There's really no hamburger. See, a hamburger, by definition, has to have some hamburger beef, some steak in the middle of it. You, you know that hamburgers don't have any ham. Anybody not realize that? <laughs> yeah. They don't have any ham. It's named after a, a, a cut of steak uh, that Hamburg, Germany, was famous for. 
and so a type of steak. And so they took that cut, and they put it between bread, and they called it a hamburger. But it has no ham in it. But there are a lot of different types of hamburgers today. I want us to remember this because when we're talking about where's the beef, there's a lot of things out there pretending to be the beef of Christianity, saying this, this is what it's all about. And some of those things are really good things, but they're still not the beef. They're just uh, that uh, piece of lettuce you put in between. If you don't eat it immediately, it gets real soggy. So uh, I had here, let me see. I just thought this was interesting. These are eight types of burgers. And I'm going to start with the burger that's number eight, and then we'll go up to number one. Now, I I was amazed by this because actually number one is my favorite kind of burger. But I doubt seriously it is the favorite kind of burger for most of you in here. So that shocked me. Number eight on the burger list was a beef burger, the good old-fashioned hamburger. They ranked it number eight. And uh, health reasons, I think, went into that. This person apparently is concerned about health, which is ridiculous. But uh, <laughs> number seven was elk burgers. Anybody ever have an elk burger? Okay. Is it okay, Fred? Good. Yeah, it's good? Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. All right. Elk burgers. Uh, go, uh, I think they have them over at Wendy's this morning. Uh, number six, portobello mushroom burgers. Yeah, 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 yeah. A lot of people, you, you go and usually have a whole lot of cheese on them, right? That's be, to cover up the mushroom. Um, turkey burgers, number five. We just had turkey burgers down in Florida one night. Lydia got turkey burgers because she's concerned about health. And uh, my sister-in-law, uh, they, they cooked them, and she dumped, a, you know, a bunch of seasoning on it. And she told me, she said, well, when you have a turkey burger, you have to do something. You have to do something with it to make it, I guess, to make it edible. And then she came out and she brought out all these fancy, like this fancy French mustard and these sauces and everything. And I'm looking, I'm like, where's the ketchup? You know, (laughs) that's what I want to know in life, not where's the beef. Where's the ketchup? You know, Um, then you have uh, veggie burgers, number four, which is, uh, you know, there are some bad veggie burgers out there, believe it or not. Burger King actually has a decent veggie burger. If you want a veggie burger, they have, you know, my, my daughter Dee Dee is vegetarian, so we spend a lot of time going to Burger Kings to get her a veggie burger. But they're not bad. You know, anything done well can be okay, but anything made with soy, I don't know how they do it. Uh, number three, bison burgers. Now we're back to manliness, okay? When you see number one and hear that's my favorite burger, you're going to wonder about me. But number three, bison burgers. Number two, wild salmon burgers. Just the fact that it has the word wild in it sounds good. And number one, and I want to know, does anybody else share this? I have tried every one of these at every restaurant I go to. I'll order this if they have it on the menu. And there's several here that have it on the menu in Stanton. And I know where the very best one in all of existence is. And I'm going to make a plug for them. Nisa's Cafe. They have this on the menu. It's the black bean burger. Your favorite? Thank you. <laughs> that was a rousing <laughs> endorsement. <laughs> but thank you, Ron. <laughs> uh, yeah, and they don't always have it ready there. You've got to kind of 
uh, call ahead, or they may just happen to have some black bean burgers uh, there. But uh, anyways, I, I thought that was interesting. So there's lots of kinds of burgers out there, but to tell you the truth, there's lots of lots of churches and preachers and people out there who may not be giving getting you, uh, I'm just going for the sake of the say, the black bean burger, the best, <laughs> the real one. They're, they're giving you uh, substitutes, and those substitutes may be good. They may be fine. But today's scripture tells us what is the actual beef that we need to have in our Christian life. Otherwise, everything else doesn't matter. Uh, one thing that, uh, as we go through uh, these scriptures, I'm just going to say that the bulk of the scriptures down into the last couple of them are really talking about, could be misinterpreted as Paul is giving us a morality lesson. He's, it's sort of like the Ten Commandments, which many people uh, memorize. He's just saying, this is how you need to act. It's like uh, Washington had his little uh, his, uh, uh, rules of life that he had, such as don't spit into the fire when they're cooking on it, okay? Uh, So we could read this just as Paul has just given us a bunch of rules, and most people rebel against the idea of having to obey rules, and rules are boring and all too, but we need to understand where he's really going with this. He says, so I'm telling you this, and I insist on it in the Lord. You shouldn't live your life like the Gentiles anymore. Uh, now, what he meant, Gentiles, was in a general sense, I think, in the version, in, in, in the message uh, that Carol read this morning. It just said, as others, uh, those outside of the Christian faith. You shouldn't be living in that way anymore. There should be a difference here. They base their lives on pointless thinking. Now, if you think about it for a moment, if you don't have a faith in God and in a God who is eternal and in a God who created you and in a God who promises you something beyond this life, life by definition becomes pointless. Whatever you do in this life, no matter how good, it's, it's gone quickly. And many of us feel that way even when uh, we think about our own deaths, that for a short period of time people will remember us but as time goes on, you know, we fade into, into oblivion. And then there, <laughs> this, is, this is my uplifting version of this sermon. <laughs> and no one remembers us anymore. You know, Charles de Gaulle, one of my favorite quotes, says that cemeteries are filled with men who the world couldn't live without, who thought that the world could not go on without them. And, uh, and I think sometimes when we realize that our lives without faith in Jesus Christ really just amount to a fleeting moment. And all those works and all those things we are done, they were good to a point, but to a very limited point. And then they're gone. And so Paul is saying, that's the way the Gentiles, that's the way people who don't know God, that's the way they think. And so they base their lives on this pointless thinking and they are in the, in the dark in their reasoning and they are disconnected from God's life because of their ignorance and their closed hearts. That's what my version says. Most versions say they're hardened hearts. And that word for hardened there in the Greek is the word that is best translated petrified. Now, we use petrified a lot of times to talk about somebody being scared. Boy, they were petrified. But that's because they stood there frozen, could not move. Petrified means something that is hardened. 
I, I camped out in the petrified forest, I think it was nine, ten years ago, uh, after I graduated uh, from college after many, many years. I got my degree in counseling, and, and so I, I took a few weeks, and I went out to Arizona, and I visited with some family there, and then I got in the car by myself, and I drove through Arizona, and I camped out in the petrified forest. I'm going to tell you what, that was the hardest fire I ever had to start. Man, that stuff would not burn. And then I wound my way up and eventually uh, ended up at my son's house up in Colorado. But the petrified forest was really fascinating and to learn how this actually happened. But, you know, there was rivers and floods and, and trees were knocked down and, and rushed down into this area. And, uh, and they got settled into the mud. And, uh, and the mud kind of preserved them, but over time volcanoes erupted and volcanic ash came and settled on them. And the volcanic ash, volcanic ash had, had different kinds of minerals in it that went in and formed around the trees. And to such a degree uh, that today when you look at these things, they really do look like trees. Some of them, it is so incredible how they formed in there and took the place of the tree. But the organic matter, the living matter in them, disappeared over time, decayed, to the point where there was nothing left but stone. That's what Paul is saying has happened to the Gentiles, and that's what can happen to us. That over time, these different things enter into our hearts, and as they come in, the living heart, the life that God gave us in there, is replaced by stone. And we can get to the point where it's very hard to find anything alive in such a heart. I think that's what's happened in much of the world today. To much of uh, the human population has, has so been inundated by the negative and the darkness and, and by sin that the life that was in them has been replaced by stone. And so Paul says, don't be like that. Let God come in and restore your life. Let Jesus Christ come in and give you a sense of right and wrong. And they've turned themselves, these people who live in the darkness, over to doing whatever feels good and to practicing every sort of corruption along with greed. You know, our society, a lot of people actually do believe that what makes you feel good must be good. If it feels right, what can be wrong with it? If it makes me happy, how can it be wrong? I hear those statements. You've heard those statements. Paul says that's that's faulty reasoning. That's not the basis for what is good and what is evil, but rather it's God's word. He said, you didn't learn that sort of thing from Christ. Since you really listened to him and you were taught how the truth is in Jesus, change the former way of life that was part of the person you once were corrupted by deceitful desires. Allow Jesus to teach you. Don't allow Bob Weeks or any pastor or anybody on TV or anybody else to teach you unless what they are teaching you is what Christ would teach you. But our example is in Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say that, that we need to so, so emulate the life of Christ in our lives that others looking at us would imitate us, that we become more and more like God each day, the God who saved us, and that people can look at us and see that reflection in us and can learn what it is to live the Christian life. But I'm not to the beef yet, folks. I'm not there yet. 
We're, we're still in the garnishments. We're still in the condiments. Therefore, after you have gotten rid of lying, each of you must tell the truth to your neighbor because we are parts of each other in the same body. Wow, what he's saying is if we're part of the same body, which he has talked about in the previous passage uh, earlier on in chapter 4, if we're part of a body, a body that, that would lie to each other can't, can't uh, uh, operate. How can a body, you know, if my hand tells me that, uh, or let's say this, my eye tells me that my hymnal is over here, but my eye lies to my hand, so my hand doesn't know that the hymnal's over here. That you know, you're gonna have a mess. Just just go with that in your heads. If you know, uh, I have many many other great examples, but but we can, as the body of Christ, we can't function as, as the body of Christ in any sort of coordinated way if we are lying to each other. And sometimes we're lying to ourselves, and we're deceiving ourselves too. Uh, be angry without sinning. There's a lot of uh, misconceptions about this. A lot of people say, if I'm going to be a Christian, if I'm going to be like Jesus, I can't get angry. Well, obviously, Jesus got angry. There are a number of places where Jesus has a righteous anger. And he illustrated, he illustrated that with Peter when he said, get behind me, Satan. He illustrated that even in the garden when he's praying. He comes back and, and his, his guys, his his, uh, his posse, they've, they've fallen asleep. You know, when he goes into, into the temple and he cleans, cleans out the temple of the uh, money changers and those who are selling things to make a profit off of the house of the Lord. So there is a time to be righteously angry, but don't let the sun set down on your anger. Even when you have a righteous anger, it can turn unrighteous if you hold on to it and you do not go and use that righteous anger to change somebody's life or to somehow influence them. If you're going to have a righteous anger, don't just hold it in and don't lash out at others without being clear as to why you have this anger within you, this passion within you to change things and to see things changed. Uh, it's... it's, it's uh, you know, I have encountered at times anger that I thought was righteous, but also in the lashing out it sought to destroy. If you have a righteous cause, be passionate about it, but also be constructive about it. Make a case that can change lives and not just upset them. Don't pro- provide an opportunity for the devil. Thieves should no longer steal. Instead, they should go to work, using their hands to do good so that they will have something to share with whoever is in need. Now, this has been used by many societies and all over time to say that everybody should work and therefore the homeless person or the person who uh, has um, uh, dysfunction uh, in working within the society, uh, we shouldn't help them because they should be working. But we recognize some people are incapable of work. Some people are physically incapable of work. And our population is aging. And as we get older, it's harder and harder for some people to be in that position. So Paul says, what he's saying here is those of you who can work, work. So that you can help those who can't. Those who are in need. And so a a church, I think one thing we do well here is the people who, who can function to help the dysfunctional, the people who are younger to help the older to come and to help them with their yard work or whatever it is. And uh, Paul is saying that should, that should be what the body of Christ looks like. Don't let any foul words come out of your mouth. 
Only say what is helpful when it is needed for building up the community so that it benefits those who hear what you say. Now, when we hear don't let foul words, you say, oh, oh we can't cuss. Well, yeah, yeah, that's, that's part of it. But what he's saying is don't let words that foul up the swimming pool. Uh, you know, we're all in this together, and you come in and you throw this stuff in and you poison it. And so he's saying, don't let those words come in there. But, other, but do only say what is helpful when it is needed for building up the community so that it benefits those who hear what you say. And don't make the Holy Spirit of God unhappy. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Put aside all bitterness, losing your temper, anger, shouting, and slander, along with every other evil. In other words, at the end he just says what sums up everything. Every evil should be avoided. Be kind, compassionate, forgiving to each other in the same way, and we're getting into the beef here, folks, this last, last little bit. In the same way God forgave you in Christ, therefore imitate God like dearly loved children. Live your life with love, following the example of Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. He was a sacrificial offering that smelled sweet to God. Folks, I don't care how many programs we have to help the needy. I don't care how many fellowships we have where we're hugging and kissing on each other and telling each other how much we love each other. If we don't have the love of Jesus Christ in our hearts, then you've got to say, go ahead and play the next one. I want to just hear her say it one more time again. We need some sound. Very big bun. Big fluffy bun. It's a very big fluffy bun. Where's the beef? Some hamburger places give you a lot less beef on a lot of bun. Where's the beef? Have you ever asked that? I mean, I, I really think if we got down to why people are, are fleeing from churches today is because they're asking that question. Where's the beef? How does this change my life? How does this in any way make my life better? And so churches have sometimes responded with, well, we need to improve the music. Or we need to improve the preacher. Or we need to repaint the building or put a new roof on or any number of things. You know, we come up with a list of things that we could do to get people to come. But all we're doing is putting putting a bunch of stuff between the bun but without the beef. When people come to the church, I really believe that what they want to find here is Jesus Christ. And they only encounter Jesus Christ here when Christ is alive in you and living through you. When they hear gossip, when they hear uh, the negative insults that sometimes you, you hear in churches, because we're the hospital for sinners, so, so sometimes we still sin. They hear these things and they're going, but where is the love of Christ? And even if some of those things, those, those evil things still exist in corners of the church, if the love of Christ is, being, is, is coming through, it will overwhelm those things. And people will feel it and know it and see it. And they'll desire to come back and to come back and hopefully become part of the body of Christ in this place. Uh, folks, I pray this morning, we're coming to the, to the communion table, to the table of our Lord this morning. And as we're coming, uh, I hate to say that we're coming to the beef. <laughs> but this is really what Paul was saying. 
the Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. And so the rest of our service is an invitation to the Lord's table. It's a time to confess and to receive God's pardon. It's a time to share together the bread, the body, that cup, the blood of Jesus Christ together. Amen. As we go, remember that we have a fellowship time immediately following. We have Sunday school. We have a prayer group that meets 9 o'clock Monday mornings at the community center, one that meets here Wednesday evenings uh, in, in the classroom over here. We have lots of opportunities for people to meet, to pray, to grow in Christ. And the prayer request cards that are up here, you're welcome to take one or two or three of those and to keep these folks in your prayers this week. Now let's go forward and be the hands and feet of Christ in this world, but be people who not only serve but serve with love and the love of God in our hearts. And may all who encounter us see Christ in us. Amen.